It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Previously on Election Rewind. We still do not know the outcome of yesterday's vote. I got a call from the vice president saying, Steve, we're going to need some lawyers in Florida. Let me put it this way. Jim Baker is probably a better knife fighter than Warren Christopher was. It is not fair to change the election laws of Florida by judicial fiat after the election has been held. He's counting dents and slivers and dimples and pimples and bumps. Chad is probably the most popular word in the United States right now. We're expecting another day of fast-moving legal maneuvers here in Tallahassee. I hereby declare Governor George W. Bush the winner of Florida's 25 electoral votes. I did not personally have the sense that the U.S. Supreme Court would ultimately be the arbiter for the outcome of that election. But indeed it was. Episode 7, Bush v. Gore. In the 2000 election, uh, I was part of the policy team uh, on the George W. Bush campaign. United States Senator Ted Cruz. And so I started down in Austin uh, in the summer of 1999 uh, as domestic policy advisor. And so spent a, a year and a half on the campaign working essentially on policy that touched on legal issues. The priority was that historically... The Supreme Court had always said that these issues are state issues. Former attorney for Al Gore, Stephen Zack. And that the they should not uh, rule on this issue. And that the uh, state of Florida should make these decisions. Well, when the case went up, I remember there was a vigorous debate uh, among the Bush legal team about whether or not the U.S. Supreme Court would choose to take the case. Uh, And what was interesting is there was a divide that seemed to break out on the lines of whether or not you had clerked at the court. Uh, My recollection is most of the former Supreme Court clerks believed the court would take the case. Most of the other lawyers believed the court wouldn't take the case. Uh, And the reason is pretty straightforward. There's no doubt a court looking to preserve its own legitimacy, to protect its own backside from being criticized, from being uh, attacked for being in the midst of a political dispute, would decline to take the case. That's the natural self-preservation instinct of any court. And and I'm sure that was a, a major factor for the justices. You have to know that the Supreme Court does not want a presidential election to land on their steps, to land at their feet. Chief legal correspondent and host of Fox News at Night, Shannon Bream. They try so hard, they endeavor so hard with every case and every decision to be as apolitical as possible. And I think uh, realizing it was going to end up there, you knew that was the end of the road. That was the end of the game. And that was it. And so these justices were going to have to take positions and everybody's immediately going to say, well, this one was appointed by that president. That one was appointed by that president. They don't ever want to be partisan. So I remember thinking when it landed there, this is kind of their worst nightmare. The case was well argued. David Boyes was, as I recall, argued it for the Gore team. Fox News senior political analyst, Britt Hume. And um, Ted Olson argued it for the uh, Bush team, as I remember. Very, very good, very fine lawyers, both. One of the great benefits, 
the Bush legal team had was having someone as extraordinary as Jim Baker lead the team. Uh, he's both a, a savvy lawyer, but also cunning and 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 unbelievably effective. Someone who understands politics and press and and how to survive in an unpredictable knife fight, which uh, the the Bush versus Gore recount most assuredly was. And so Secretary Baker led the entire ade- endeavor. Um, they had also hired Ted Olson, who I knew well, uh, to be li- the lead Supreme Court litigator. Ted was either down there when I got there or got there about the same time. It was all in that first week. There was a lot of controversy or discussion about the fact that the Bush campaign was arguing equal protection clause case, essentially saying there were going to be different standards for counting the votes in different counties in Florida. There are 67 counties. And as you know, there had been been, um, machine recounts, hand recounts started and stopped in a number of different counties. So part of their argument is that the votes were going to be treated differently if they were counted in different ways in different counties. Can you begin by telling us our federal jurisdiction? Where's the federal question here? The federal question arises out of the fact that the uh, Florida Supreme Court was violating Article 2, Section 1 of the Constitution, and it was conducting itself in violation of Section 5 of Title 3 uh, of federal law. It was a claim that having wildly different standards for counting ballots uh, in different counties, all for the same election with no uniformity, violated the Equal Protection Clause of the Constitution. And I have to admit, when we drafted that claim, which was just a few days into it, uh, every one of us thought, wow, this is this is pretty weak. I mean, we were kind of like, I look, much of the complaint was outlining what we believed was likely to happen, but it hadn't happened yet. It was simply looking forward. Here's the chaos we believed could could unfold. And if that chaos did unfold, it would violate equal protection. What was fascinating about how that litigation played forward is is it is a claim that started out quite weak and every day got stronger and stronger and stronger. Essentially what had happened is everything we had predicted in that initial complaint came true. The utter standardless, arbitrary chaos, county by county. The Florida, Florida Supreme Court has held that where a voter's intent can be discerned, even if they don't do what they're told, that's supposed to be counted. It was clear that Broward and Palm Beach counties had applied different criteria to dimble ballots. That, that's just not rational. The Bush folks also arguing that there was essentially a change to the Florida law, that the Supreme Court, Florida Supreme Court had made changes to the law uh, after the facts, kind of usurping the legislature and what they had already decided about these counts. But you'll remember, too, the Secretary of State at that time, um, Harris, had gotten involved, had stopped and started counts, had set deadlines for, she couldn't stop and start the counts herself, but she had set deadlines for when they were gonna be certified, which a state secretary of state does. Um, so there were a whole host of issues, um, but you know, essentially um, it was about those votes and whether they would be treated um, fairly. If you could treat them differently and count them differently, would they actually count the same way? And that's what the Bush folks were arguing. I, I think, Your Honor, that if the, uh, Florida Supreme Court in interpreting the Florida law, uh, I think the court needs to take into account the fact that the legislature does have this plenary power. Um, 
I think when the Florida Supreme Court does that, if it does so, within the normal ambit of, ambit of judicial interpretation, that is a subject for Florida's Supreme but, but Court to take. Are responding as though there were no special burden to show some deference to legislative choices in, in this one context. Not when courts review laws generally for general elections, but in the context of selection of presidential electors. Don't, isn't there a big red flag up there? Watch out. Uh, I, I, think, I think there is, in a sense, Your Honor, and I think the Florida Supreme Court was grappling with that. I think it did do it properly. That's, I think, a concern that we have. And I did not find uh, really a response by the Florida Supreme Court to this court's remand in the case a week ago. It just seemed to kind of bypass it and assume that all those changes and deadlines were, were just fine and they'd go ahead and adhere to them. And I found that troublesome. There was in the law it was uh, a, a case that I can't remember the, the uh, what it was headed, but it was about a safe harbor provision. Um, and there was law on that, that this action by the Florida Supreme Court was in conflict with. And I remember Chief Justice Rehnquist uh, raising that issue at the time and saying, well, haven't you run directly into this? And of course, it was, it was a precedent of the U.S. Supreme Court. It was binding on that court. Uh, and presumably on all other courts. And it, it, had, it had not been raised um, prior to the argument before the Supreme Court. And it was, and it was a controlling authority, and, it, and it, it turned the tide. At the contest stage, what you're doing is you're contesting specific ballots, whether or not they were included in the certification. It's absolutely clear under Florida law that that's what the contest is about. So at the contest stage, the only question is, can you complete the contest of the contested ballots in the time available? Um, everything that's in the record is that we could have, and indeed we still may be able to, um, if, if that count can be Including appeals to the Supreme Court of Florida and another petition to this court? Excuse me, Your Honor. I said, after the circuit judge says the contest comes out this way, surely there's going to be an appeal to the Supreme Court of Florida and likely another petition to this court. Surely that couldn't have been done by December 12th. Um, Your, Your Honor, could, I, th could, could it? I, think, I think the appeal to the Florida Supreme Court could have, and indeed the, the schedule that was set up um, uh, would have made that quite possible. Um, there is about another day or so, uh, except, for, except for four or five counties, uh, all of the counties would be completed in about another day. Um, uh, and maybe even those counties could be now, because as I understand it, some well, of them have taken advantage of the time to get the procedures the, ready to count. Just a minute, Mr. Boyce. Wouldn't the Supreme Court of Florida wanted briefs? And wouldn't the parties have needed time to prepare briefs? Yes, Your Honor, but as we did in this court, we have uh, done in the Florida Supreme Court a number of times, and that is to do the briefs and have the argument the next day and the decision within 24 hours. After um, the counts are conducted in the individual counties, wouldn't the Leon County Circuit Judge have to review those counts? After all, it's I mean, the purpose of the scheme is to have a uniform determination. If you listen to the argument as if that uh, case involved, that uh, previous case involving safe harbor provisions under the under our electoral law 
was was a big factor. And you could see that the Democratic side was hadn't researched it, wasn't clear on it, uh, and didn't have a good argument uh, against it. So that appeared, you know, it looked at that point it looked like it might go against the Gore team. I did talk to David before the argument. He was uh, getting prepared, and uh, we changed some ideas. And I listened to the argument and uh, waited, like the rest of the world. Get the next episode of Election Rewind the moment it's released. Subscribe at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Former Democratic Congressman Dan Rostenkowski has been pardoned by President Clinton. Rostenkowski was indicted on 17 counts of misusing federal funds. You come home from work. Instead of fumbling for keys, a computer scans your eye, identifies you, and lets you in. This is the Microsoft Home, a showcase of what the software giant hopes domestic life will be like in the near future. I am profoundly grateful that when I leave office, we will still be in the longest economic expansion in our history. People would say it was pretty evenly split. I mean, you have a couple folks like uh, Justices Souter and O'Connor, who at times they're Republican appointees, but very much had uh, sided with their more liberal contemporaries on the court on important issues. So I think a lot of folks want to look at the court and say um, it is this many Republicans, this many Democrats. But think about, too, you got to think about Justice Stevens and how he had moved as well. So I think that it was definitely not a reliably, quote, conservative court, even though you did have a a slew of Republican appointees that you would think as a conservative would maybe go for your guy or side with your side. Um, But I think a number of the Republican appointed justices on the court at that time were certainly not reliable conservative votes in some pinches. And I think that there were people who we saw over time certainly drifted to the left. I was guardedly optimistic. Uh, and we thought we had a chance, okay? We knew that it was going to be extremely close and that it would probably boil down to Kennedy's decision. So, you know, we held our breath and waited for what ultimately the decision was. In that trial record, there was undisputed evidence that the votes that were counted there were valid legal votes. Do you think that in the contest phase, there must be a uniform standard for counting the ballots? I do, Your Honor. Uh, I think there must be a uniform standard. I think there is a uniform standard. The question is whether that standard is too general or not. I have never had my cross-examination of a witness published on the front page of the New York Times. Okay, that gives you some idea that there was some interest in this. Just one week ago, this court vacated the Florida Supreme Court's November 21 revision of Florida's election code, which had changed statutory deadlines, severely limited the discretion of the state's chief election officer, changed the meaning of words such as shall and may into shall not and may not, and authorized extensive, standardless, and unequal manual ballot recounts in selected Florida counties. Just four days later, without a single reference to this court's December 4 ruling, the Florida Supreme Court issued a new wholesale post-election revision of Florida's election law. 
That decision not only changed Florida election law, yet again, it also explicitly referred to, relied upon, and expanded its November 21 judgment that this court had made into a nullity. Totally insane. I mean, more than a decade I've been covering the court and have never seen anything that comes even close to this. I mean, normally when the court decides to hear a case, it's been listed on a conference list for weeks, sometimes months at a time. They have these private votes and conversations about whether they're even going to hear it. Once you finally get past that vote and find out your case has been taken up, it's now months of briefing and back and forth with the court before you ever get there. Then you finally have your day in court for the oral arguments. Then it can be months again before you ever hear how the court has decided. So everything about this blows up the procedures, the traditions, the way that the court would normally handle anything. And it, it truly was one of those moments in time and in, in history that just blew up every single norm there was for the court. What you had there was undisputed evidence. It was found as a matter of fact. And the Supreme Court reviewing that trial said, you've had these votes identified by Miami-Dade, 168 net votes, by Palm Beach, 215 net votes, and those votes need to be included. Not because it not only said the certification process. Not only said that, it said that those votes have to be certified. Yeah, yes, Your Honor. It said that, that, that those votes had to be certified, which certainly contravenes the, our, our, our vacating of their prior order. I, I think not, Your Honor, because when you look at the contest statute, it is a contest of the certification. That is, the process is that results are certified, and then what happens is you contest whether that certification is right. I understand, but this, but what the Florida Supreme Court said is that there shall be added to the certification these additional numbers. But that's true in any contest. Every single contest. It's not added to the certification. Yes, of course you, it is, you, you, you may do a review of the ballots and add more numbers, but as I read the Florida Supreme Court opinion, it said the Secretary of State will certify these additional numbers. There was a lot of behind-the-scenes fighting. I don't want to say fighting, but there was a lot of behind-the-scenes negotiating and finagling as there is often with these really tough cases um, that involve Justice Stevens, Justice Breyer, Justice Kennedy. Um, so I think for all of them, this was an exceptionally difficult case to be involved with. If this were remanded to the, uh, to the Leon County Circuit Court and the judge of that court addressed the Secretary of State, like either is or could be made a party, and said, please tell us what the standard ought to be. We will, we will be advised by, by your opinion. That would be feasible, wouldn't it? I would state that after the state Supreme Court made initial rulings that it, the Gore campaign felt they were in pretty good standing to keep this going. Host of Bill Hemmer Reports on the Fox News Channel, Bill Hemmer. And I think they felt pretty good about it. Uh, when it went to the U.S. Supreme Court, I, for one, was uncertain of the outcome. I was not sure what they were going to do. However, there were Republican lawyers, significant, influential lawyers in Tallahassee, who felt this was a good thing for their side. It wasn't clear. You never know. You know, you listen to these arguments, and sometimes you think you know where the justices are going to come out by the nature of their questions. Sometimes you do, and sometimes you don't. It was very suspenseful. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts.
The first time we went up before the court, the central argument the Bush legal team made is is that what the Florida Supreme Court did in changing the date was contrary to federal law. Senator Ted Cruz. And we were asking the U.S. Supreme Court to reverse uh, that determination. Two weeks after the November 7 presidential election, the Florida Supreme Court overturned and materially rewrote portions of the carefully formulated set of laws enacted by Florida's legislature to govern the conduct of that election and the determination of controversies with respect to who prevailed on November 7. As we were drafting our pleading, I remember being being in the office late at night, uh, two, three in the morning, uh, along with Noel Francisco and Tim Flanagan. Tim Flanagan is another very, very talented lawyer, was a former clerk for Chief Justice Berger, ended up being deputy White House counsel under George W. Bush. And and Noel and Tim and I were, were in a room and we were brainstorming about, so this argument we're putting forward, we're kind of swinging for the fences. We're asking them to resolve everything. And, and I'm a big believer in litigation. A court not known for delivering its decisions in short order is working expeditiously to render an opinion that could finally settle the presidential race. First thing you see is you see cars leaving the Supreme Court garage. Campaign strategist for Al Gore, Bob Shrum. I remember Steve Breyer's car leaves, and they got a, I think it was Breyer, and they got a close enough uh, camera angle on him that you could see he was very unhappy. You, you got to appreciate the, the, the full background. The TV sets are on, uh, on the side of the room, and, and at the same time, there were reporters standing on the steps of the Supreme Court holding the opinion. And the opinion didn't just say in the front line what the outcome was. So you had reporters reading the opinion and like completely flabbergasted trying to figure out what it means live on air. I remember watching this as a viewer and somebody who really was considering a change from going into law, going into journalism and feeling like I was going to have a panic attack. Shannon Bream. <laughs> because when you get one of these opinions and you run out onto the steps, the whole world was literally watching and waiting for this moment. And I remember watching the legal analysts and reporters, and some of them really struggle through it. It's not a clear, easy decision to read. There are splits, there are concurrences, there are dissents, there are multiple branches to this thing. And I remember thinking, like, who would want to do that for a living? It looks terrifying. <laughs> so I laugh now that I'm in that position. Um, but I remember just feeling for those men and women who are out there. And there are a lot of reporters who cover the court who don't have a legal background. They're certainly brilliant. They get used to covering the court. They know how to read these opinions. But I remember thinking, wow, the whole world is waiting for them to tell us what happened. And this is a really difficult piece of material to read through. It's very interesting that the court, and this is something that is, I don't know that it's ever been done before or after, said that their decision in Bush versus Gore had no precedential value. Stephen Zack. That's, and to anybody who practices law, understand that is incredible because all appellate law particularly is based on precedent. And to issue something that has no precedential value tells you how the court must have felt about it. There were two rulings. One was on whether the procedure could go on as it was presently constituted, and that was seven to two against the, against the way they were doing it. Britt Hume. And then the question was the remedy, 
And that was five to four. And that's the one, of course, that stuck in everybody's mind because it was so narrowly decided five to four that five to four was to shut it down. I took a couple of minutes. I, I, I read it um, and, and uh, I looked up at, at Secretary Baker and I said, it means it's over. We won. And he looks at me, nods, and he reaches over, he picks up the phone and, and, and he calls George W. Bush at his ranch in Crawford. And, and Bush answers the phone, and, and the first words Baker says, he goes, well, Mr. President, how does it feel? over the White House is causing a tug of war on Wall Street. This election deadlock has really cast a pall over the stock market. Hillary Rodham Clinton made history by becoming the first sitting first lady ever to be elected to a public office. General Powell's a strong figure and Dick Cheney's no shrinking violet. But neither is Don Rumsfeld. So I called President Mrs. Bush to say, woohoo! Former Chief of Staff to George H.W. Bush, Gene Becker. President Bush is beyond depressed. He is watching another network. And I mean, it was such a complicated decision. It was not black and white. So 41's all depressed. Carl thankfully called the Bushes soon after I hung up to say, this is complicated, but your son will be the next president of the United States. The decision comes down. We have a call in the middle of the night. Uh, what more can we do? Uh, and I said nothing. There's nothing to do. Uh, and, and, and the vice president said, well, that's fine, Bob. Uh, you may have gone to Harvard Law School, but you haven't practiced law. Uh, let's see what the lawyers say. And, of course, the lawyers said, there's nothing more we can do. I mean, Vice President Gore uh, was, was and is a fabulous human being. And um, he uh, was not going to jeopardize our democracy in any way. And uh, again, he, he's a lawyer himself. And he respects the rule of law. And uh, that was the end of the line. There were people who urged him to continue fighting. Uh, he immediately decided, and you saw that, uh, I think within hours, uh, he accepted that decision as final. If there had been a, a sensible legal way forward uh, within the system uh, to continue to prosecute this case, that Gore had actually won, or at least that we needed to have all the ballots counted, uh, I have no doubt we would have taken that course. Uh, but once the U.S. Supreme Court ruled, uh, unless you you didn't want to send people into the streets, you, you, you didn't want to see violence break out in this country, but that was something that Al Gore would never have countenanced or encouraged. I think it shows that we have an amazing system set up in this country, that we have branches that have their powers, uh, they have their boundaries and their borders they're not supposed to cross. And we saw in this case, the judicial branch was the one that came under the most pressure in trying to get this thing settled. Now, people will argue about whether or not they think the case was rightly decided. 
But the court did what it was supposed to do at every level. I mean, these state courts, the federal courts, um, the Florida state justices, the U.S. Supreme Court justices, everybody was under enormous pressure. And I think that we saw, um, listen, it didn't turn into rioting in the streets and a splitting of the country. I think the country is able to look at those nine justices and say, this is the form of government we've agreed to. We have a constitution in place. We agree that this court is the final word. And though we may or may not like the result, um, it's time to move on with the next step, get ready for the inauguration, the transfer of power, um, the transition of an administration from one to another. And like I said, I think even though people may have been unhappy, just depending on which candidate you were pulling for, I think there was confidence that the courts, for the most part, was viewed as an institution that doesn't want to be political, didn't want this controversy to land at their feet but move through it swiftly, got a decision to the country and got us to a place where we can move on. Well, remember this about about the Supreme Court uh, then in particular, but even now, and that is that it enjoys a level of prestige with an acceptance with the public that no other institution in this day and age really has. So when the Supreme Court spoke, people recognized it as final. They may not have liked it, but they recognized it as final. And there was a lot of grousing that went on about, you know, how the court had elected Bush and so on. But but in the end, Bush became the president, and um, and that was that. And Gore, to his credit, uh, gave a a gracious, generous concession speech, and he did it, and said, told us he was doing it for the sake of the country. I mean, you couldn't just tear the country apart trying to, you know, win an election that you thought you had won, but that was not going to be given to you. Good evening. Just moments ago, I spoke with George W. Bush and congratulated him on becoming the 43rd president of the United States. And I promised him that I wouldn't call him back this time. I offered to meet with him as soon as possible so that we can start to heal the divisions of the campaign and the contest through which we just passed. Almost a century and a half ago, Senator Stephen Douglas told Abraham Lincoln, who had just defeated him for the presidency, partisan feeling must yield to patriotism. I'm with you, Mr. President, and God bless you. Well, in that same spirit, I say to President-elect Bush that what remains of partisan rancor must now be put aside, and may God bless his stewardship of this country. Neither he nor I anticipated this long and difficult road. Certainly neither of us wanted it to happen. Yet it came, and now it has ended. Resolved as it must be resolved through the honored institutions of our democracy. President Bush called me, and he said, Gene, as soon as the vice president is done speaking to the nation, I would like to call him and speak with him. And hopefully kindly and delicately i said to him that's a terrible idea i sir i don't think you're the person al gore needs to talk to tonight and he said i completely disagree with you um he says i have been where he is he says i may be in the father of the man who beat him but I have been where he is. I know how he feels tonight, and I would like to talk to him. Now the U.S. Supreme Court has spoken. Let there be no doubt. While I strongly disagree with the court's decision, I accept it 
I accept the finality of this outcome, which will be ratified next Monday in the Electoral College. And tonight, for the sake of our unity as a people and the strength of our democracy, I offer my concession. I think we learned to take a hard look at our election system and how we can make it better. And I think that was really the legacy that came out of Florida. Bill Hemmer. And I think if you look back over the past 20 years, what you would conclude and find is that we did make it better. Um, It will never be perfect. And for the losers of a campaign, they will never be satisfied with close elections and how ultimately perhaps we determine that. Um, But I do believe in my heart that Florida set an example for how states and the election system can make it better for voters so that they believe their vote matters. I also accept my responsibility, which I will discharge unconditionally to honor the new president-elect and do everything possible to help him bring Americans together in fulfillment of the great vision that our Declaration of Independence defines and that our Constitution affirms and defends. Let me say how grateful I am to all those who supported me and supported the cause for which we have fought. Tipper and I feel a deep gratitude to Joe and Hadassah Lieberman, who brought passion and high purpose to our partnership and opened new doors, not just for our campaign, but for our country. I uh, had a uh, renewed appreciation uh, or concern for the Electoral College. Um, We have since that time filed, our firm has in a number of states, uh, lawsuits questioning the Electoral College because, uh, you know, in a democracy, it should be obvious that the person that receives the most votes wins. So for me, this campaign ends as it began with the love of Tipper and our family, with faith in God and in the country I have been so proud to serve from Vietnam to the vice presidency, and with gratitude to our truly tireless campaign staff and volunteers including all those who worked so hard in Florida for the last 36 days. Now the political struggle is over, and we turn again to the unending struggle for the common good of all Americans and for those multitudes around the world who look to us for leadership and the cause of freedom. In the words of our great hymn, America, America, let us crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. And now, my friends, in a phrase I once addressed to others, it's, it's time for me to go. Thank you, and good night, and God bless America. So I watched the vice president give a speech. I watched him, could they, the networks are showing him coming down the stairs of the old executive office building, now the Eisenhower building. I see him get in his car, and literally on live TV, I see the vice president obviously pick up a phone and get on the, the phone. And I'm thinking, surely, surely that's not President Bush calling him. Well, five minutes later, my phone rings and it's President Bush. Gene, I just hung up with Al. We we had a great talk. I am so glad I called him. I think he was a little surprised. And I wanted to say, really? You think he was surprised to hear from George Bush and but it, you know what? It was the right thing to do. It was such a sweet moment. And President Bush felt he had given a great speech, a very healing speech to the nation. He felt he had said all the right things. 
And what I should have known it was the right thing to do because President Bush was almost always right. The next day, Heidi, my wife, said, uh, it's a good thing you weren't wrong, uh, which, which, thank God, you know, is, uh, I mean, I was 29 years old and, and it was pure serendipity that I happened to be there. The senior members of the legal team were all masters of the universe. They, they were among the most accomplished litigators on the face of the planet. And I was a 29-year-old kid, but, but through the happy coincidence that, that, that I was the only full-time litigator who'd been on the campaign, and I'd been on the campaign for, for the last year and a half, uh, and what I had done before the campaign was constitutional litigation. And, and, and so I got the opportunity to, to carry the bags and assist some of the most incredible lawyers to ever practice law. And, and it, was, it was truly a surreal experience. I remember sitting in a director's chair on day 37. The U.S. Supreme Court had made its decision. Al Gore had conceded. Now, President-elect George Bush accepted his concession. And I was the last one sitting near the state capitol after a sea of media from all over the country had cleared out. And I took that blue director's chair and I put it in the trunk of my rental car and I drove home to Atlanta, Georgia in early December. And I thought, how can a reporter's assignment get any better than this? Next time on Election Rewind. We must care enough to ask how our children are doing. We must have the data to know how poor and minority children are doing. He thought it was as vital to our nation's future that we help minority children especially to do well in school. This is a clear blue sky day in Manhattan. If this was an accident, it would be a needle in a haystack kind of accident. I thought it's got to be Osama bin Laden. This nation is peaceful but fierce when stirred to anger. There was a sense of not only payback, but sort of righteous reckoning. It will not end until every terrorist group of global reach has been found, stopped, and defeated. Iraq has weapons of mass destruction and it could threaten our our troops. Having come this far, our tested and confident nation can achieve anything. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com.